Welcome to One Stop Shop, a weekly podcast that helps ambitious e-commerce entrepreneurs learn from the best. Brought to you by Convergio. To learn more about managing all of your e-commerce tools, channels, and strategies from one dashboard, visit Convergio.com. On this episode, we interview Donald Lee from CombatFlipFlops.com. At Convergio, we like to reward and celebrate businesses that do good in the world. One of those remarkable businesses is called Combat Flip Flops. It was founded by Army veterans with many Afghanistan tours behind them. These guys sew a country filled with hardworking, creative people who wanted jobs, not just handouts. Combat Flip Flops products are made in war zones from war materials. They provide job opportunities for American veterans and the Afghan people, bringing both parties together towards a common goal of saving lives and funding education. Every product that they sell puts an Afghan girl into secondary school for a day. Today, we chat with Donald Lee to learn how your small business can make a huge impact in the world one product at a time. Hey, Donald, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Combat Flip Flops and the story behind it? (laughs) Well, um, Combat Flip Flops was started by me and my business partner, Griff. Um, and Andy, this company actually started um, in Afghanistan. Griff and I both served with the 75th Ranger Regiment, and we did a couple of deployments to Afghanistan. Um, you know, we saw a bunch of things that we didn't we didn't really like. It didn't sit well with us. Um, specifically, how the people lived. You know, they just there was a lot of uh, a lot of people that were kind of out of sorts. Didn't you know? There's no real employment from what we saw, especially with the war going on. It was it was a, it was a difficult you know, place to live and, and, and thrive. Right. So, um, you know, I got out of the army in 2005, my business partner, Griff got out of the army in 2006. And after he got out of the army, he went back to Afghanistan and, uh, he was doing contracting there, uh, medical contracting. It wasn't like private security or anything. So he, he went back there and, uh, he met an American over there by chance. He met another American and this American was standing up a combat boot factory to manufacture combat boots for the Afghan national army. And while he was there, Griff actually, um, saw one of the employees punch a thong through a combat boot. So, <laughs> and you know, the light bulb went on in his head and he asked the guy like, Hey, you know, can I run with this? And the guy's like, yeah, have at it. So late that night, <laughs> maybe Two in the morning, I, I got a call. I was sitting in L.A. at my house, you know, just just grinding away. And I got a call from Griff at about two in the morning saying, hey, we're going to make flip flops in Afghanistan. Right. And and, you know, being a good ranger buddy, I'm just like, sure, let's do this. Right. So, it, you know, it started with just going on and registering a domain. And, you know, and, and then I didn't hear from Griff for maybe about another month and a half after that call. And when I, you know, in that month and a half, he had, he had come back from his, uh, from his contract gig in Afghanistan. And he, he linked up with our third partner, Andy, who's the civilian part of our, of our company. And then things just, things started moving fast from there. Um, prototyping happened, uh, designing, you know, the, the flops happened. And that, that first year, you know, when we're trying to get this thing off the ground, everything is bootstrapped, right? We had no investors. We had no nothing. Everything was on our own dime. And that first year, um, we we pre-sold probably about three or four thousand pairs of flip flops, based on a sketch like a CAD printout of of what the flip flops are are kind of going to look like. Mm-hmm. And you know that year we we pre-sold that many you know three to four thousand pairs of flip flops. And you know we've never made footwear, we've never made fashion products. We we didn't really know how, how this was going to go down, but 
we, uh, you know, we had a factory in Afghanistan um, that was going to manufacture these for us. So the, the, the idea was, you know, get these, you know, after the war is gone and there's no more need for combat boots, what's going to happen to these factories, right? They're going to go away. So the, the thought process was let's, let's keep them employed, right? Let's get these flip-flops made in that combat boot factory and, and keep these people employed because, you know, jobs again in Afghanistan were pretty hard to come by. And when, when somebody actually had a job, it was, it was supporting, you know, so many family members. Um, so, you know, the idea is let's keep them employed instead of letting the job, their job fall out from under them after, after the war ends. So we start ramping, we start ramping up, uh, production and, you know, we had, we had a couple failures happen. Um, we had to, we had to import our raw materials from China because the, uh, the infrastructure for, for the materials wasn't in place. There was no leather tanneries. There's no rubber trees. There's none of that in Afghanistan. So we had to import the, the rubber and the, uh, actually the leather and, and the other, uh, the other materials to, to put the, uh, the flip-flops together from China. So they would come over land and they would get into, into our factory in Afghanistan and, um, and they would start making our shoe. Well, when we got, uh, we got through the first run and we realized that the quality wasn't what we wanted, right? Mm-hmm. When we, we went out, you know, for our price point, we're kind of at the higher end of, of the, uh, of the, the flip-flop market. And for our price point, we couldn't let, we couldn't let this, we couldn't let those flip-flops hit the market because it was just, they were substandard, right? We wanted to put out a quality product. When, you know, we got that first run, my two business partners flew to Afghanistan, took control of the inventory and said, we can't, we just can't sell these. So um, when they realized the whole, that whole run was bad, they kind of opened the gates to their compound and just handed them out to the locals. Like, here you go, here's some free shoes. So this yeah. was, this was very, this was very bad for us, right? Because everything again is bootstrapped. Like my business partner, Griff, sold his boat, his motorcycle, one of his cars, like just to fund all this. And when we were out, you know, our whole, our whole first run of raw materials and product, we, we, we kind of scrambled, right? So my, my partners are on the ground in Afghanistan trying to figure this out. And, and, um, we ended up, we ended up standing up a new factory over there and everything was, was good to go. We, we, you know, Griff threw down his credit card and, and, and bought all new raw materials that were going to get shipped to, uh, to our new factory. So, you know, the, the guys come home after this and, you know, we're just waiting for the raw materials to get into the new factory. And this is around December timeframe of uh, 2012, 2012 or 2013. Mm-hmm. And when those, when, uh, when the raw materials were about to ship, we got a call from that factory saying, hey, listen, we lost our boot contract. You need to guarantee us, you know, X million of dollars in sales just to keep the factory open. And, you know, being a, a bootstrap startup, we, we, there was no way we can do it. So, um, you know, here, you know, here we are right before Christmas, we're expecting to get, uh, to get a run of footwear, you know, started and, um, we get a call from the factory, you know, letting us know what happened. And, you know, finally we just, we were just very frustrated and, and, you know, we, we, we knew that, you know, every good business, there's, there's, there's three requirements, right? The idea, the demand and the ability to execute. Mm-hmm. So we had two, we had two of the, of, of those three elements, right? We had, we had the idea, we had the demand. You know, with all the pre-orders, but the only thing that that we're lacking was the ability to actually manufacture the footwear at that point. So, you know, we're on a conference call. We're you know we're hashing it out, and and it was you know it was one of those things where we just said, you know what, screw it, send the raw materials here, we'll figure it out. 
So we had, you know, we had enough raw materials to make our first 4,000 pairs of flip-flops shipped to our garage in, in Issaquah, Washington. <laughs> <laughs> and over oh, the, the time it took for, for the raw materials to float across the ocean, we, you know, my business partner, Andy, became a glue and rubber expert. And, and he figured it out. And, you know, when he figured out the right way to do things, um, we sat there in that garage and handmade 4,000 pairs of flip-flops. Handmade. It was, yeah, we, we made them. I mean, they, they sent, they sent the pre-cut materials and we, we had to put everything together. We learned how to put everything together. So oh, it was, it, I mean, after everything that happened to you guys and all the, you know, like you said, the failures and you guys are bootstrapping. And then on top of that, you handmade everything in a garage. Like you guys must have really wanted to do this. <laughs> it was, it was one of those things where friends and family came together and, and everybody just, I mean, it was amazing the amount of help we got. Um, one of our really good friends, Paul Litchfield, you know, he was, he was the guy that invented the Reebok pump. Right. You remember that shoe, the Reebok pump where you yes. pump it up on the, so he, his, you know, he helped us so much, you know, just, just his, you know, his, you know, he, 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 he kind of helped us get on the right track and, and, um, and we did it, we did it. And we delivered every, every piece of, of footwear that was pre-sold. The interesting part was, um, along this journey, along, you know, along, you know, along the way with, with our failures, we, you know, we had, we had this, this email list that was growing of, of, of people who pre-ordered and, you know, along the way we said, Hey, this is what happened. You know, if you guys want a refund, just, just let us know, we'll give you your money back. You know, we're not, we're not at the swindle anybody. Um, we're going to do this, you know, and, and I think out of the, you know, out of all the pre-orders, we only had maybe three people ask for refunds and then like two of them came back and rebought. And they so our first run literally these people waited some of them waited over a year to get the, their 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 pair of flip flops from us. Mm-hmm. So it was a very it was a very interesting thing. Um, you know, the one thing that I didn't mention was that um, when we started this right as 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 veterans and army rangers, you know, we understood that that we understood you know the we fought against radicalism while we were there, right? We fought against, you know, the, the, the suicide bombers and the Al-Qaeda, uh, the Al-Qaeda operatives and stuff like that. And we realized that the one thing that was missing and the one thing that could really help, help the country would be education. You know, it's, it's a long and a, so we, we actually have a long and a short-term play. The short-term play is employ, employ the people of Afghanistan and, and give them jobs right away. What that does is that stabilizes the community, right? If, if somebody there is making money, that means they're out, they're out spending the money. And, and, and as a whole, the community is, is a lot stronger, right? Financially and their lives just obviously improve. The long-term play for us was educate, um, educate the Afghan women. And, you know, the, the thought process behind that is, is, you know, you can, you can kill a terrorist with a gun or you can kill terrorism with education. So an educated woman raises an educated kid. An educated kid grows up to be an educated adult. Educated adults are less likely to be radicalized. That's the play we were going for. So, so every piece of footwear that we sell, we fund one day of school for an Afghan woman. And, you know, some people are like, why only one day? You guys are, you know, you guys are this and this, but no, no, no. You know, we, we funded, I think, I think this year alone, we funded over 160 or 170 years of schooling for Afghan women. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been an interesting journey. Um, we've also, we've also expanded. Um, we, we, we're manufacturing products in Laos. 
Um, and those we're, we're manufacturing jewelry in Laos, and that jewelry is manufactured by um, unexploded ordnance that were were dropped during the Vietnam War. So every piece of that jewelry that we sell, it actually funds um, demining three square meters of landmines. It's very interesting how, how how those products are created. It's you know a lot of those the people that live in the villages where where these bombs were dropped. Um, you know, they still cook with, with, uh, with wood. They still cook their dinner with, with wood burning fires. And what they do after they, they, uh, they cook their meals is they, they gather the ash from their fire and they build molds. And then they, you know, after, after the, uh, the, the landmines are safely detonated, they take the scrap metal and they melt it down and they pour it into the molds that they create from the ashes that they cook their dinner on. And they create our jewelry. My gosh. Okay. You covered... So much interesting information <laughs> in a in a good stint there. I'm going to back you up a little bit. So clearly, I mean, it's it's very apparent already that you have a huge drive. Um, it's cool that you have this humanitarian aspect to the business. I'm curious from the get-go, what were some of the things that you did in order to get your first sales, especially after going through your debacle? <laughs> um, so are we talking pre pre failures or, or are we talking just all along the way? Um, let's keep it a little focused. Like you said, you, you rallied up a decent amount of pre-orders and then you had to sort of start fresh. So if, without um, going too crazy, maybe just some of the basics that you did that um, could be replicable for the pre-order stuff and then for the, the second round. Okay, so the pre-order stuff was actually just, it was old school, hit the ground, and approach vendors, right? Approach, so we had, when we started, we had, we had, um, we had planned on going the retail and the, the, we went, we planned on going B2B and B2C, right? We plan on going into retail and we plan on, on doing direct sales on our website. So a lot of the, the first pre-orders were, were smaller shops. It was a matter of, you know, my business partners, they hit the ground running, they went to, they went to outdoor type trade shows and and you know just industry like veteran industry type trade shows you know being that we're veterans it was it was it was kind of a natural fit with what we were doing in the style of footwear we were selling so it, that was that was literally just pounding pavement that was that was drive to to make sales that was you know meet with people and and this is who we are this is what we're about this is what we're going to do right um that's how a lot of those those initial pre-orders came in um, at the same time we were, we were collecting, you know, we were collecting sales on our website, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd bring them in and obviously, you know, they'd, they'd come in if, if, if they didn't purchase, we'd have, you know, the, the, the normal reg pop and they'd come in and, and they'd register and we'd start, we'd start our marketing cycle via email and, and retargeting. How, how did you get the initial traffic is actually something I'm, I'm curious about. We, we've been... We've been very, very, very fortunate to have decent amount of media coverage since we started. Uh, from, or from, I'd say after the first year of pounding payment and getting those, uh, getting the, the the smaller dealer pre-orders, we, you know, we started we started getting media and a little bit more media and a little bit more media. I think the first big media hit that we had was actually a half page in the Wall Street Journal business section. Um, that was, I don't, I don't remember what year that was. We had, we had a half page article hit in the wall street journal and, and, you know, we, we lit up some affiliate traffic and we bought a little bit of Facebook. Um, that's how we started getting our, our initial traffic. 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't call you guys fortunate or, you know, lucky though. I think the, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like because the story is remarkable and it's interesting and you guys are doing something good that it's newsworthy or, you know, it's worth talking about, you know? But it's kind of funny because we had Gizmodo, the first really like, so wall street journal, I'll be honest with you that the, the printed, the printed media that we had was it, the the performance on that wasn't too great. I mean, it, it gave us exposure, but it wasn't the kind of exposure that would you know that would would drive hundreds of thousands of users to our website. It was it was more more. I guess you would call it more of a brand recognition deal for us. But the first real really significant um, media hit that we had that drove a ton of traffic and actually crushed our server and shut us down for a couple of days was. An article was an article that was posted on Gizmodo by a writer named Wes Seiler. And when that happened, that was that started a chain of events that that got us to where we are. That article launched last April. And when it launched, you know, it it obviously did great things for our sales. Um, You know, we, 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 we didn't we had never seen that volume of sales. It wasn't you know, we didn't make millions of dollars, but it was it was more than we had ever seen online. Right. And when that happened, the, one of the producers for Shark Tank actually read the article. And when, you know, he was on vacation when he read the article. And when he got back from vacation, we got an email from him saying, hey, you guys ever, want, ever think about being on Shark Tank? And we're like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we thought about it. And so, you know, we went, we did the, you know, we, we did everything we needed to do to get on Shark Tank. And we got on Shark Tank. It aired. Uh, it aired February of this year. We shot it last uh, last year, late last year, and and it was it was a uh, it was it was a great experience. It was a really great experience. So this was an example of, you know, of, of just just getting the right media exposure that that started a, a chain of events that you know we. <laughs> again, I, I just think we're we're just we're very fortunate. We're very fortunate to have. <laughs> and so after all that media coverage that you got, um, what have you guys been doing in terms of? You know, trying to maintain and and maintain the traffic and get more of that traffic and more of the sales. So obviously, in the online space. Um, so right, let me let me back up a minute though. Um, rolling into this year, before Shark to Shark Tank had ever aired. So when you go on, you you, you don't. It's not guaranteed that you're going to be on Shark Tank, right? Like you can shoot it and and you could just not go on. Um, so rolling into this year, we decided to get rid of our 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 retail play and we decided to go straight B to C. Um, direct, direct online. And, you know, when we did that, we were able to lower our price points and, uh, and, and make, make the, uh, you know, make the sale <laughs> a lot easier to convert. Right. Um, we went from a, a roughly a $70 price point to, you know, we have, you know, we have sub $30 products now, you know, in the forties and $30 price range. And then we even have some products are in the, in the, in the $20 price range. Um, so, you know, to, to, to keep the momentum and get the traffic, like, you know, we, we understand that online, your data is king, right? The, the, your user base, your, your email list is king. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of our initiatives are based around, you know, acquiring the new user and, and just remarketing to them and, and giving them what they want, right? You know, just funneling, in, funneling, targeting them and funneling them into, to specific landing pages based on, on, on the users, you know, the user demographic. All right, so it clearly you have a lot of things going well for you. What hindrances or stumbling blocks have you 
found along the way? Some of the the bigger ones, maybe ones that other e-commerce owners could relate to. Uh, um, <clears throat> wow. You know, when you when you come off a media event like Shark Tank and you're a small company, it, it gets really hard. Um, you know, you, you find success when, when it airs. Um, you know, we, we, we did very well when, when, the, when the episode aired. But, you know, we were, when it aired, we were still a three-man company with an a email marketing person and a, a social media person, right? So you know, there's five of us and two of them were, on, were, were contractors. So I think the hardest part for us was, was actually scaling and, and having the manpower to actually get to scale, right? Um, you know, we're still in the process of scaling. Like we are not, you know, we're not this, this, we're not Tom's shoes or anything like that, <laughs> but um, you know, we're scaling and that has been the, the most difficult part is, is being able to get, get the things done that need to get done with the, with the manpower available. So what do you have, what systems do you have in place in order to scale? So again, a lot of our bottlenecks narrow down to, to manpower. Um, you know, a lot of the design stuff, a lot of the photography, a lot of those things, that's where our biggest bottlenecks lie. Um, you know, if, if we're out, like our biggest audience has been the military audience. They've been our biggest supporters since day one. And, you know, our, 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 some, our flip flops, a lot of the, a lot of our military experience and our, our military lifestyle, uh, comes out in our footwear. Um, you take our flop raiders. Um, which are, are, you know, are some of our best selling flip flops. And, you know, we put Velcro patches on them just, you know, like we wore on our uniforms. Right. Um, but when we start, when we, you know, when we're marketing to these users, you know, we want to give them the experience that we need and, and, you know, just the hours it takes to do the design work. Like, you know, I'm, I'm the chief marketing officer who's also doing design, who's also doing media buys, who's also doing anything, who's also fixing anything that breaks on the website. So, um, the bottleneck is manpower. That's the biggest bottleneck that I am finding. All right. So tell us more about the charitable, charitable involvement that um, combat flip-flops um, has been doing. Uh, you touched on it earlier, but you didn't really talk mm. too much in detail. So, so combat flip-flops, we work with, with a, a few organizations. So one is the, the, education, the educational um, charity that we work with is Aid for Afghan Education. And they, they actually, that's who we donate to that keeps the schools up and running. Um, for our demining efforts, we work with, we, we work with a company called, um, a nonprofit called Mag International, or the Mines Advisory Group, sorry. And, and they're, they shared a Nobel Peace Prize for demining. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also work with a couple veterans organizations. Um, one specifically is Team Five, and what Team Five does is they bring Western medicine to to countries that that don't have access to it. So, on the most recent mission that Team Five went on that that we helped fund, it was it was to a Mayan village, and so we have these these former special operations medics and surgeons go up where you know no no normal doctor will get up to altitudes and just living living standards and and things like that. It, it makes it you know impossible for a lot of these doctors to get to. But our guys are are used to putting on a hundred pound rucksack and, and hiking up these, up to these villages and, and stuff like that. So, you know, on the last, on the last mission that team five went on, they, it was, it was actually really cool because there was this, this little girl who had a softball size, uh, I believe it was, it was, it was like a sister tumor. And, you know, the guys went in there and, and set up a makeshift ER inside of, inside of, 
you know, some house or a building that was there and, and they, you know, they, they surgically removed it for her. And, you know, that's, that's kind of life changing for this little girl, right? You can imagine, you know, her running around with that thing on her back and, you know, kids are, kids are brutally honest and you can only imagine what, what she went through, but, you know, having that removed by, by surgeons, safely removed by surgeons was, was a big deal. And, um, you know, they, they went there and they, they set up, they did, they did vaccinations and dental care and, and, and other medical, medical treatments that, that were needed in that village. It was a great thing. No, this, this whole thing sounds really cool as we're kind of shopping around looking for people that we wanted to have on. It just seems like you got a really interesting mission. The fact that you, you focus on something that normally is overlooked like sandals and then you have this, uh, military background and just extra humanitarian flair that you bring to the whole thing makes for a really interesting combination for sure if people wanted yeah, <laughs> yeah i was gonna say if people wanted to learn more about you and, and what your team is doing where is the, the best place they can go you can go online to combatflipflops.com and then do you want them to do anything else <laughs> i want them to buy products every product <laughs> we sell every product we sell funds something right it's you know, everything that we sell, everything that's on the website, min- at minimum funds one day of schooling for an Afghan girl. Yeah. Um, you know, and and you know the jewelry again, it'll do it'll do a day of school and it'll it'll clear three three square meters of landmines. So that's important. You know, when you know we're so used to going out and, and shopping for products that kind of don't mean anything, right? Like, we just oh, I'm going to get this, okay? But you know, we we're trying to make an impact. We're trying to change the world, and, and we're trying to take the business not bullets approach. Yeah. Definitely love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for the time. Thank you, Donald. Thank you. One Stop Shop is a production of Convergio. Learn how to manage all of the marketing tools, channels, and strategies that you need from one dashboard by visiting Convergio.com. This podcast was produced in partnership with Come Alive Creative. For help building, improving, and marketing your e-commerce store, visit ComeAliveCreative.com. To listen to more episodes or to give us a rating, please visit convergio.com forward slash iTunes.